0: All right. What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Slab Talk. I'm your host, Amil Sarfani, and this is my sports card show. Alright, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. It's a little late night episode. I'm going live for the first time actually on my YouTube channel. Uh, and I'm excited for the topic that we're talking about. I've taken all kind of weeks since the news has come out uh, to think about it. And I've brought on an awesome guest to talk about it. Today's episode, we're going to be focused on the massive news of Fanatics uh, striking a licensing deal with the MLB uh, to start producing uh, sports cards after the tops deal expires in 2025. And the the report from uh, uh, Darren Ravel at the Action Network and Wall Street Journal uh, also said that the the NBA and the NFL PAs have also struck a deal with fanatics. So this is massive news. Obviously, there are huge ramifications uh, to this news. uh, But today, I brought on an awesome guest that's going to bring on an entirely different perspective because he's been in the hobby much longer than me. And I wanted to take on a bit more of a historical perspective on what's going on with this particular news and then talk about... What it means for the hobby and uh, what the next three to five years also look at. So I want to introduce my guest today, uh, one of my you know friends in the hobby, Adam at the Real Twenty Seven Guy on Instagram. And guys, do follow us on Instagram. That's where a lot of the community in uh, in the sports card world lives and thrives. It's been a fun place to be. So do follow Adam and myself on Instagram. Uh, and he's also the owner of one of the best resources for any sort of content in the hobby, which is his magazine, the basketball card fanatic. If you are not already subscribed to it, you need to subscribe to it. It's some really amazing content that he's been putting together in that magazine. Adam, thanks again so much for joining us. Uh, and I hope you're doing well. You, you've had a marathon live with uh sports card live Jeremy, uh, right before this talking about the premier auction. So thanks again for joining us
1: tonight. Oh, dude, I'm super grateful that you would have me on. It was a marathon and it's still not over. That auction isn't. And, uh, you know, this being your first live, who knows, who knows who, who will join us or, or not join us, but at least it'll be recorded for afterwards. But I'm just, I'm really grateful that we get to talk about this today. Um, if you're okay, I'll,
0: are you okay if I just uh if I sort of like introduce myself and talk Please, to my Tell us tell us a little bit about your background, how long you've been okay. in the hobby, a little bit of your collecting background and then also tell us uh, about your magazine a little bit as well.
1: Okay, awesome. So, um I'll go through that really quickly. I think um you know, hopefully it's a good percentage of your of your viewers have kind of heard a little bit of my story, but I'll, So, I'll keep it kind of brief. Um I'm 38 years old. Um husband, father of four, uh, definitely like that's, that's where my, most of my life is. That's where like all my priorities and, and important things are. And besides that, I have work and basketball cards and I basketball cards have been a significant part of my life for, since I was five years old. It's the only real significant hobby of my life. Um, I, I have people who accuse me of you know, being, um, too obsessed and, and, you know, somebody who's kind of like a little bit rain man ish, as far as, <laughs> as basketball cards go, you can give me a year. You can give me a set. You can give me, you can give me any draft. And I'm sure there's a lot of people like this, but you can give me any draft really in like the last 25 years. And I can run you through, you know, most of the first round. Um, I worked at a card shop for seven years here in salt Lake. Um, I paid for, you know, the majority of my college education, both my degrees by flipping basketball cards.
0: Um,
1: And I have, you know, I've got a a, a pretty, I've got a pretty nice collection. And I really like started that with a couple hundred dollars. um, I I should say a thousand dollars. And, and have just bought and sold and traded and sort of moved my way up and created this awesome, this awesome collection that I love. And, you know, I love, I love basketball cards. I always say that, that it's the greatest hobby in the world because it doesn't matter if you have $5 a week in, in, um, you know, budget or, or, uh, you know, $20,000 a week, you can always have fun in our hobby. And so, you know, I started a podcast like five years ago. It was the first basketball card podcast. I still do it about once a month. It's called the basketball card podcast. And I started it because I wanted smart people like you who were far better at producing things like this to give us content. And, you know, now we have that, but when I started it, we didn't, we didn't have any of those things. And so I'm glad for how it's changed. But what's interesting is as we've seen this change over the last, um, you know, over the last three, four years now with content, we, we now don't actually have as much awesome written content. We used to have Beckett basketball magazine that had, you know, really like a lot of cool articles and things in it that were, that were important. And, and it was kind of like, it was kind of like the Bible for basketball cards or for sports cards. And as time's gone, as time went by, it became just more of a price guide. Um, but so what I did is, you know, a year ago, I decided to start Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine. BCF is a is a monthly magazine that's for basketball card fanatics. That's why it's called the Basketball Card Fanatic, not because I'm the basketball card fanatic, but because it's designed for basketball card fanatics. We issue digital and uh, now hard copy magazines uh, each month, which is, it's it's a struggle to, to Put them together each month because it's so much information. I think when people think of the magazine, or think of a magazine, they think, "Oh, it's probably just a few pages, or it's this or that." Each magazine, on average, is thirty pages in length. They're really long. They're a lot of work, um, but but guys, they're they're I I I just love it. It's the it's the coolest thing that I've been a part of. Each magazine has three to four community pieces. Um, where, you know, members of the community provide something that is, that is, that they're passionate about Has indices has one big interview from, you know, industry leaders, basically anybody who's a big name in the hobby, uh, you know, and and especially big names that we don't hear from very often. Those are the people we want to, we want to interview. And every issue has, you know, some really cool, important, iconic card on the cover, and that's especially cool when it comes to the to the hard copies because you don't know what you're going to get. You get this you get this magazine in the mail, and there's a card on it that that you probably know and, and think is cool. So um, more important than the magazine being long, though, that it's very well written. We have a PhD on staff who's the associate editor, and I'm the editor in chief. And you know we we are distributing to people who are putting it out on their office or at their office. You know they're putting it out on the coffee table where where people can, you know, have, have a, have a conversation about cards. They open it up, they see the indices, they read these cool interviews, they see these huge numbers and these really cool looking cards. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's got an article about, about why cards are art, um, in usually in every, in every issue. And I think it's the best basketball card magazine ever made. I realized that in 2021, um, you know, magazines are not the medium of choice. What you're doing is, is the medium of choice. People want, you know, the, the content to enter in their brains easier and more passively. Um, but I still think there's a wonderful place and an important place for magazines. And, uh, we, we love doing it. It's, it's a blast. I love doing it. it I've had a lot of three and four o'clock nights, you know, eight, three or four, four AM, but, uh, but we love doing it. And I'm, and I am, you know, I'm just still obsessed with basketball cards 32 years after I started collecting. So, um,
0: thanks for letting me talk about the magazine and a little bit about myself too. So one of the reasons I love talking to you is one, you have a very different perspective because you've been in the hobby so long. I've only been in for about 18 months and, uh, I totally understand how obsessed you are. I, I think my family, everyone thinks I'm going a little nuts <laughs> with how crazy obsessed I've gotten over, especially basketball cards because I'm a big basketball fan myself. Uh, and your magazine, uh, like it's not just you know we we're not affiliated. I don't make any money off this, and and I, I genuinely love your magazine. I think it's going against the grain because everyone is doing things like podcasts, and you had a podcast and still decided to do the print magazine. Uh, I think it's a great service to the the industry to keep the collector's kind of stories alive and keep that history alive because the history of sports cards, which we're going to get into because that's a lot of what we're talking about today, is so important to the hobby and those who have been in the hobby for a long time. In fact, one of my favorite cards I have picked up in the last month, I would like to give you as the tribute because I read an awesome article and I knew about the Jambalaya set before I read your article, but going into it and actually reading a full article about the jambalaya and how rare they really are uh, and talking about the design of the set really sparked something in me. So when I saw the Tim Duncan jambalaya uh, at the National, it was one of those where I was like, okay, this is the spark I was kind of waiting for as I walk around the National. And I want to thank you for that because it's honestly something that came out of reading the article in the Basketball Card Fanatic. So thank you.
1: Well, that's – I mean – that's one of the greatest rookie inserts ever made and that one that you own, that you own there in, in your hand. I mean that's that's just a great card and and um and congratulations on it. The thing, the other thing I want to respond to that you're saying about that is we all have I talked to Jim Beckett about this um last week. We all have this like some of us have this natural propensity to be um more obsessive than we should be. And, and I think, you know, everything you just said, I feel those things in myself too. There's times where I just get too obsessed that it may even not be healthy. And so what I want to do is like, just say, let's all enjoy the hobby. Let's love it. Let's be passionate about it, but let's also remember what things are most important. And it's not basketball cards. You know, it's great. It's a wonderful hobby. I I love it. But, um, and I, I I call it the, 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 the basketball card fanatic for a reason, right? We're fanatical. But, uh, but let's also (laughs) remember that it's just cardboard at the end of the day.
0: Absolutely. And that's a good note, you know, and and I think that's absolutely something that we all have to remember, especially when we're spending a ton of money and stuff in the hobby. So, uh, absolutely. And speaking of fanatic, let's get into that massive news. I mean, this news when it came out was so insane. So I'll recap it really quickly again for people at the top of the show. Again, Fanatics did sign a licensing deal with the MLB, NFL, and NBA to produce sports cards uh, after the 2025 uh, season uh, is over. Uh, So no longer is Topps and Panini, the companies, going to be uh, producing those sports cards. It will be Fanatics after that. Uh, And I want to talk about those companies versus the IP because we'll get into uh, you know, what options may be available to fanatics, uh, to keep some of the brands and some of the history alive, even though they are a new card manufacturer in the industry. So before we get into it, I'd love to hear your initial reaction when you, when you read, when you read the news. So, you know, the way that it came out was it was first
1: presented that baseball was losing their license and their or, or tops, I should say in baseball. And that was like a, whoa, like you know I'm like I said I'm 38 years old. I only know a world where tops makes baseball cards.
0: And they started in 1952 with the Mickey Mantle card, right? Like that was the first baseball card That's that right. was the first year of tops. And so they've been doing this for 70 years in baseball. So it's massive that they're not going to be doing baseball cards anymore.
1: Right. And to me, like that was like overwhelming. I was like trying to deal with it. I was talking to co-workers who don't care about cards. I'm always talking to people <laughs> who don't care about cards, about cards. It's like the the number one thing people about me yeah. is cards. So you know, I'm talking about that. And then I, I got back to my, my office and I was like just looking at different things. And a, a friend messaged me this blurb from the Wall Street Journal. And I was just like, wait, what? Like, and then I just, it's sort of, it sort of washed over me. And I sat there and I thought about it and I listened to what some other people said. And then I thought about it some more and I thought about it some more. And so my initial reaction, it kind of reminded me of, of other times where like the world changes around you. And and I don't, I don't mean this in a morbid way. This, what I'm about to say is going to, is going to sound strange, but it reminded me a little bit of of January 26th of 2020 when, when Kobe passed away because the whole world changed in a moment. And, and I, and and that, that sounds too strong, but like, it really did. Like our whole, our hobby is important to us. And, and we care about releases and we care about, you know, like we care, we know people who work at these companies, right. I know people who work for Panini. Yeah. Um, And so like all of the Panini is a, a one of our, one of our major sponsors at basketball card fanatic. They, they're wonderful to us. Tracy Hackler is amazing. He's a wonderful guy and I don't know what happens to those guys now. Right. Yeah. So, so like, there's all of these thoughts that, that, came, that came over me, but like, I just had to sort through it and that took, that probably took 24 hours of mentally and emotionally sort of like understanding what was going on. So that was my initial, what Was that was my initial
0: thought. What was your initial thought? Yes. So my initial thought was uh, honest. It was, it was excitement as someone who's new in the hobby. I want to see more people coming in the hobby. I want to see it continue to grow from where I came in. Like, I know I came in a little late. I know that I came in after the massive, like, boom of I'm part of like the newer cohort of people who've come into the hobby. So, I personally would love to see it continue to grow. And when I see so much money being poured in and so many companies putting in real infrastructure around the sports card hobby to continue to elevate it. It's exciting. It, it, it's truly exciting. I, the, the change excites me to see that level of commitment from mass brands. I mean, Fanatics, I think, is um, valued at like eighteen, you know, mm-hmm. billion dollars. I think the new deal that Tops was going to sign with, or going to go public with after their merger with the Mudrick Capital Acquisition Team, uh, was going to value them at one point three billion after the merger. So the fact that Fanatics, which is a much larger company is coming in and doing this. Uh, it does indicate that there's really great excitement and long-term sustainability to what we're seeing right now, and it's not just a flash in the pan. So that was my first initial reaction: was excitement, and then followed with some nervousness of the uncertainty. Fanatics is a new brand. We don't know what their cards are going to look like. We don't know what they're going to what, what brands they're going to produce under, uh, and there is a lot of uncertainty because right now. We do know what Tops looks like. We do we do know what Panini looks like. We know what releases are going to come out. We know what to expect a little bit, and there is some comfort in that. And so when there's news about all that maybe changing, there was there's also that wave of kind of uncertainty and uh, uneasiness to what it may mean to many people who I'm sure are maybe upset about. You know, Tops and Panini not being part of the hobby in that same same exact way that they've been used to for 70 years, right? Like, that stuff matters. Uh, and so it does uh, – it, it is – It is. that was kind of my first initial reaction to it. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but talking about, like, the historical nature of the hobby, right? So I want to talk a little bit about – Tops we talk about has been doing baseball cards specifically. And I, I don't do a lot of ba- – I don't do any baseball cards. I know you're, you're a basketball card yourself, fan yourself. But Topps has been doing baseball since the 1950s, it, on and off in basketball, right? There's the 1980 mm-hmm. Topps and the 1981 Topps cards, and then kind of transitioned into Fleer uh, in the 86 year, and then back to Topps in 92 with some upper deck. There's a lot of like brands, and I don't know all, you know, I don't know exactly all the details of what who owned what, but there were a lot of companies there. Do you have a lot of insight into like, the licensing deals now are all exclusive, right? Like they are fully exclusive with one company at this time, back when there was tops and there was upper deck and stuff was, were those exclusive to tops own upper deck, at least in basketball to be able to do that, to like, how do you know how those exactly worked? Yeah, I know. So let's,
1: let me, let me address one quick thing first and then come back to that question. So, um, I think um, just going back to Fanatics real, real quick, and I apologize if you were going to get back to this question. Feel free to cut me off or whatever. But, but um, Fanatics has never made a card before. Um, they sponsored, I believe, they sponsored some some Prism cards, but I don't think that that Fanatics has ever made an actual card before. And I don't think um, I did a live on this back on. I don't know if it was Thursday or Friday. I don't. Be- I don't believe that Fanatics will, will actually create brands. Um, they might, I wouldn't be shocked if they did, but I, I will be really surprised if fanatics doesn't actually end up buying, um, a couple of these companies or, so there's three big companies really. There's, there's only like three that really matter. The three are, I think number one is Panini I think number two is tops. And I think number three is upper deck. And I only think three is Upper Deck because you know Upper Deck hasn't done any basketball um, for a while, and um, I think about it mainly from a basketball perspective. You know, I know they've had hockey, but um, but I you know I don't um, I don't know if 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 uh, fanatics will go for any of these in particular. But the way that I think about it is, you need chromium brands, and you need. Um, High-end, um, you know, like uh, patch autograph type brands, and so when you think about that, I think like I think the thing that makes the most sense, and and like again, I said this, I said this a couple of days ago. I still, I think that it wouldn't it would be shocking to me if fanatics didn't purchase at least one of the three companies, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if they bought two, and the two that I think that they're likely to buy. Or tops and upper deck, because I think with tops, what you get to do is you then get to continue the chrome and the finest and the, and the Bowman chrome. And you get to, you know, you get to, to do those. And although we would miss prism, you know, tops chrome really takes the place of that. Um, And then with upper deck, you get to bring exquisite back and then you get the deals with Jordan and LeBron. And there's not too many guys that are exclusive to Panini that it feels like they're so closely associated with Panini, like Jordan and LeBron are with upper deck that you wouldn't get them, you know, that you wouldn't get them too. So my guess is that that that's what they'll do. It wouldn't be terribly shocking to me if, if they did that. Um, And then they didn't actually make their own cards. So, um, you know, I'll I'll jump into your next question first, but I wanted to, I wanted to say that before. Well, let's we- Let's stay on that. Okay. Let's stay
0: on that. You already brought it up. This is going to be a question later on, so I'm glad okay. you brought it up. Let's Sorry talk about that. It. No, you're totally good. This is this is how this works. I'm I I like jumping from places, and I'm totally comfortable doing it. Okay. So when it comes to what Tops may do in the next three to five years, because that's really what we're talking about here, right? They made the first move of getting those agreements into place, and now the discussion becomes what's next for Fanatics. This is obviously not their last move, and you're right; they've never. Produced a sports card in the past Now, I also agree That would make a ton of just intuitive sense That they buy Tops or Panini or Upper Deck To bring on one of, you know, those teams Those designers those that That sort of history that allows them To start with their front foot forward Because I think that's Uh, that's important for them. And that's important for the hobby. Like, It's important that the first few cards that they come out with are hopefully maybe recognizable. uh, And therefore they keep that attention because one of the things I think about, which I think that they could do as well, which is come out with their new brands. I would actually be surprised if they didn't come out with something new and innovative to at least test the market with something that we maybe haven't seen before. At least that's what I would hope for, honestly, is that they try something new just to see i mean it's you know it's it's like panini doing the prism in 2012 it's like i want to see them try something that uh is a little bit different than what we've seen along with hopefully buying tops or panini but do you think that there's like what do you do you think they come out with their own types of cards i mean have you thought about some of the innovation that they could potentially bring into sports cards that we haven't quite seen kind of like the rpas of You know, when Exquisite came out or is there something like that that Fanatics could do to make a real splash when they take over? I think Fanatics will have
1: several really important innovations. I think the biggest innovation um, that they'll have will um, be alongside their, their current distribution model. Um, and so that's not exactly addressing your question because you're talking about innovation within
0: the cardboard itself. And we're going to talk distribution too. I think it's a fascinating topic. So go into it because I want to talk about distribution as well, but well, a company like fanatics is $18 billion for,
1: for a couple of different reasons. And I'm not totally an expert on them. So I'm not going to speak to those things directly, but, but what I will say is they haven't made cards before, but they can easily purchase these companies that, that are perfect at making those cards. And so um, you know, I do think that there will be innovation in terms of how we get the cards in terms of where, where cards are delivered. Um, you know, can you imagine card shops existing in stadiums during games? People, yeah, are cards. Point. can you, can, there's, there's, there's a million things around that that are, that are interesting. Um, I don't know what their, what their thoughts are, but the fact that there's so many things to get into and I'm not going to try to bring them up all right away, but, but as far as innovations in the card world. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see some real innovation around um, you know, digital cards, mm. um, you know, NFTs, and and things like that. But as far as the cards themselves, you know, these little pieces of cardboard and what we have on them, I actually think the companies that we've had, all three of them, have done a fantastic job. And I think Panini uh, has has really like led the way. Ironically, has led this way into this this incredible boom and we have to give them a lot of credit for that i I think there are people who think that it's despite panini i don't think so i think panini's done a fantastic job um and and really helped us to get to get where we are today but i don't think that uh that fanatics is going to be able to really top that in in some really measurable way they might they might do their own brands and have their own names but I just don't think they need to do that. They put the name Fanatics on the back of the cards, probably, and then still have. I think I. I just think I think they're going to buy Upper Deck and Tops, and maybe I'll be wrong on that. But I feel I feel like I feel like that makes a lot of sense. And it it seems like to start over, like, you know, going back to your question that you asked earlier, like if you if creating new cards is really hard, yeah, um, it's really hard, and companies like Panini really struggled with it for a while. They took over in 2009 and they didn't really make anything until 2012. That was really remarkable. Um, National Treasures, you would argue, you know, the first year with Steph um, was a great product, but I think that's great because of who Steph is. I don't think the yep. original National Treasures was that great. I think the, the best decision that Panini ever made, the one real great moment they had in those early years was the 2012 Prism, And that, that changed, you know that changed everything, but that took them years. Why would fanatics do that when the brands already exist? and they could just buy those brands?
0: Yeah, I guess it's to have their own version of the 2012 Prism, right? Like that's going to live in infamy because of what it did to the hobby and I would imagine a company like Fanatics tries to do something like that. It would make a ton of sense even if it took them a couple different, a couple years to get there after the 2025 takeover or whatever maybe or whenever they start. I know that there's like this thing they can start producing cards without the lights without the logos. Uh, uh, I guess in 2023 is what I read, but really after the 2025 season, they can start licensing the actual, uh, league logos. Um, but I did hear in your live, how much appreciation you have for Panini and what they did with the Prism product. Can you talk about specifically, like w- what did you love about that so much? Because you do speak very highly of Panini and what they did for the hobby. Can you talk a little bit about what that kind of was for you and why you have such a positive view to towards Panini?
1: Yeah. So, um, one is just because of the growth that we've seen while they've been the leader. Um, I think you got to give them a lot of credit there because they, they were the ones making cards and people were spending a ton of money on them. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, as I look back at the early years, again, I think they made, they, they originally purchased, um, is it Donruss who they purchased here in, yeah. here in America? And then sure. they were able to make Donruss and playoff type cards. Um, and you know, th- those did okay. They had things like, you know, totally certified and things like that, that were all right. But then in 2012, they came out with this thicker cardstock Chrome product. It basically felt like Chrome. It looked like Chrome, except for the cards were thicker. And it didn't have- That was the major
0: difference between the Prism product and like the Topps
1: Chrome product? To me, the, the first thing that I noticed when I opened them was the this card stock was thicker, but other than that, it looked like Chrome. Right. It did. Um, and, you know, the, the the thing that I thought was cool, though, is I opened one box of this. My mom got me a box for Christmas. I was, you know, I'm, I was 29 years old at the point. And my mom's still buying me. Still buying <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. But um, she bought me a box of Prism um, 2012. And I I, I liked it because I had just seen what the cards look like. And I opened all the packs. And in the whole box, the only things that I got were base cards, um, a couple of dopey inserts that nobody really thinks a whole lot about and two silver cards. And I didn't get any golds, but I looked at them and I was like, that's really cool. It's like they're trying to promote the base rookie card. And it's been a long time since we've had a base rookie card that was, that was really neat. And I yeah. thought this is cool. I could see this taking off now, little did I know that that box that my mom bought me for $95 would now be worth like $15,000, yeah. twelve what is it? Not 12 years, but nine years later. I didn't, I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, but yeah, I, I loved, I love the, the original prism. And I thought, I thought that that was fantastic. But when I think about some of the things, some of the other sets that they've done, I love, I love the immaculate RPAs. I think, yeah. I think those, especially the, um, you know, the acetates are, are some of the nicest, especially 2012 and 2013. Those are some of the nicest cards I've ever seen made and I have some other sets along the way that I just genuinely, genuinely really appreciate. Um, So, you know, I, I I like that Panini has, has, uh, has brought, brought cards to the masses um, that they gave us prism and, and, and a new era. Um, And then that they were here and did a, did a good job during, during the boom. And, uh, and like I say, I think, I think they've done a fantastic job. I like Noir. I like National Treasures. I like Flawless. I like Immaculate. I like all of the products still, and um, I, I. And some people say, well, Nat, Nat posted about this. He said, you know, I would like inserts that are rarer, and you know, he, I, I want them designed in a certain way. There are some design elements that are lacking, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I understand why that is too. You know, design's hard, and. Um, there's some things that, that make it harder that I think people don't really understand. And, uh, and I've talked to, to, to those guys a little bit about that. I just think they've done a really good job and I, I'll look back at the Panini era with, with fondness and, um, I'll be sad again if, unless, unless they get purchased by fanatics, I'll be sad when there's no more Prism and there's no more immaculate. I'll be sad for me.
0: Yeah, you know, I have a, a really soft spot for Prism and Panini as well, just because that's what I started with. Like, those were the cards I was first looking at. And so I, it will always have a soft spot for me because all those products that you just talked about are all products that I chase now and uh, for players that I love. I do believe that they were also during, you know, they were the producer of NBA cards during a time of Luca and Giannis. And I do think that has a major factor in it, as well as the players that are playing during that era, right? Like Fleer is really big because that's MJ's like rookie card, you know, like that, that's why it's big. I do believe the player almost determines what's going to be big and whatever, whoever was producing those cards during that time, really like, that's what it's going to end up being like. So I do think that has a lot to do with it. Um, But I do love those products. Now, let me ask you, um, in terms of panini's reign over the last nine years right like we're in 2020 now where the national treasures came out and lamella ball or the rpas of uh, of this year don't have you know player worn or game worn uh jerseys uh do you feel like the product is getting stale at all do you think that it's maybe good to change it up just to have something different even though there's all Lucas cards are always going to be in you know Panini cards and stuff and and Giannis cards are always going to be in Panini cards so it'll always be big but do you believe that that needs a little bit of change when it comes from design and, and quality of card?
1: I have to look back at this most recent year. Um, I'm not um, I'm not super familiar with the the last year in terms of design and style and I. I'm kind of one of these weird collectors that generally doesn't collect things the year that they come out. I usually sure. wait a year or two and decide what I really like. Um, and the reason for that is I, I used to be like a rookie chaser, right? You'd be like, you'd think, oh, this guy's going to be great. I need to get him right out. But I kind of realized there's so many rookies that you know it might make more sense for me to to wait and to decide what I really like. And then when I know what I really like, I'm going to go big into that, big into that thing. So I don't know if I have a great answer for that.
0: Yeah. And and I think that's how I actually operate as well is I don't really buy stuff when they first come out. I do think there's a lot of risk when it comes to these guys and so I do want to see them play for a couple years just to feel out how they're progressing. And so I'm not necessarily buying LaMelo ball cards, but I know there's a lot of, you know, uh, anger towards the fact that the RPA's, the National Treasure stuff doesn't have player worn or game worn yeah. jerseys in it. And I, and I get that. Like that kind of makes sense to me. me like you're, you know, it does make sense to me. And that's where I'm like yeah, you, you know, I, I do think those things are important. And like Flawless, I think Flawless is an awesome set. The set, the cards are some of the cleanest looking cards, and all the RPAs, all the, all the patches in them are all game worn and player worn cards. So again, they're doing it. National Treasures just happens to be the one that's the most popular, and it is there in other sets. And so I, I am curious about that. But um, I think the other piece of this is. Let's. I, I want to talk about the distribution side of it as well. I think that's a really interesting piece of it because obviously there is this arbitrage when it comes to distribution of sports cards right now where the Panini manufacturers are making it and then there's distributors who are buying it and card shops that are buying it. And at this point in time, they have to have very, very large accounts with uh with them to be able to get those cards and there's this massive arbitrage where you see lines outside target to get these types of cards because of the way they're distributed and purely because of the way they're distributed which causes this arbitrage i don't know if that's like the best way to do it i don't think that's necessarily healthy for the hobby for grown men to be standing outside like if those retail if the prices were all similar when you get them then that wouldn't be necessarily the case maybe Do you think that that distribution channel changes and do you think that needs to be changed uh, when it comes to buying and selling sports cards? Yeah, you're, this is, this is the biggest difference
1: that, that, that I think we'll see. Um, You know, you're, I I didn't ever really understand what distribution was until I started running a a magazine company, right? Um, We, we have issues that we need to distribute to people's homes. We have digital issues that we need to distribute via email. And I will already tell you right now, just like getting people to know, you know, that the magazine exists and that, um, that, that we, that we want them to buy it, like is really hard. And then figuring out how to get it to them is really hard. And so you'll have somebody who, who's like, after we send it to the printer, they'll be like, Hey, can I, can I get this or that? And one issue here or there will throw us off. I tell you this because like, distribution is hard for every company and, and figuring that out requires experts and, and, and so it's not actually shocking that Panini hasn't done it perfectly or that, you know, upper deck or tops haven't done it perfectly. It's, it's been done this way for a long time and it's difficult to get it right. But as I understand, Fanatics really has distribution figured out. Yeah. And so if, if that's the case, then, then the thing that you realize real quick is what if they could make a way excuse me, where they could um, figure out how to distribute these cards, these cases, these boxes, whatever else directly to consumers in a way where they could cut several parts of the, the middleman out. And it's, it's not difficult to understand, like that should be possible. And if it is, Maybe that's why they were able to pay so much more money than Topps to to for for baseball, or, and and why they'll be able to pay more than Panini for basketball. Because if they can take those hundreds of millions of dollars that have been taken by distributors over the course of the last couple of years, then they can offer that much more money, you know, to to the leagues to to, to buy you know to buy the licensing for that. And so I think th- I think that the distribution is where. Our world is about to change, and uh, and yeah, I think I think that's probably where I'll leave that.
0: Yeah, and I think the other piece of the, that of this that's important is that the new entity that's being formed, from what I'm reading, does include ownership stake for the players' unions. And I think that's also really interesting. And I think that's actually healthy because it incentivizes the leagues to continue to partner with these card companies to continue doing what they're doing. And maybe that's why it gets cooler. And that's maybe where some innovation happens because there's money behind it. There's reason behind it to push that innovation because there are real dollars at stake for the players and the leagues that are now a part of it. And you've already seen what NBA does with Top Shot and things like that. You see Mm -hmm. what they do when they've got a real – kind of financial incentive there. And I'm, I'm curious as to what your opinion on, is on that as well. Do you, like, that's obviously a different piece of it. Panini, you know, players unions didn't have a stake in Panini when they were producing cards. That's going to be different now going forward.
1: I think your talking points here are all really smart. Um, I think distribution was the key one. And I think the ownership is probably the, the, the next one. So I would have asked this, I would have asked the same question. And I think you and I agree, you know, if you think about it, it's, it's like, it's really simple do people work harder, you know, because they're going to get money or they're not like they're going to work no. harder for you if they, if they own a stake in it. Um, and so, you know, when you think about like, like key moments in, in, in the league, what happens when, you know, Giannis next year, who's a card collector, we know he's a card collector. What happens when the, the year is that you know, going along and he has a moment where he gets to the end of the game and he goes by and he picks up a card that has been sent to him by fanatics and he, he picks it up, he signs it on the camera, he talks about it and he puts it down. You know, what, what, what are, what are, what are um, fans going to react to to that? That is going to change everything. And because Giannis owns part of this company through the players association, he has an incentive to do that sort of thing. Players have an incentive now more than they ever have to pump carts. And that is a new world. Imagine that you know the new rookie next year, Cade coming, Cade Cunningham comes out, and he says, "Check out my card that just sold for fifteen thousand dollars on eBay." And he's comparing it to so and so whose card just sold for for twelve thousand. And and they they start ba- they start talking about it. Imagine if when when we talked about mainstream, and we're far more mainstream now than we were last year, twenty four months ago, or whatever. But imagine how mainstream we can really be if the players buy in, not just like a player here and there, but if they talk about it in a place, that's not just Instagram or something, they talk about it in a, in a game or in a place where they can really actually change things. Um, You know, that,
0: that changes everything. It's a fantastic point. I mean, you see what the celebrity type of, uh, you know, piece of it does to the hobby. When you see guys like Gary Vee and Adam Lefko and just massive people out there that are, in-car Steve Aoki you call it whatever you know there's a ton of celebrities that are getting into it now and then you add in the players and that's real legitimate you know real legitimizing kind of addition to what we're already feeling in the hobby that's a great point Uh, and I, I think that's that's a fun piece of it to continue to grow the pie here at the end of the day we want to continue to see the pie grow both domestically and internationally and I think this is a really fascinating way uh for that to continue to happen um one I do want to ask you in terms of fanatics now owning all three leagues. Do you feel like there's any sort of, is there part of you that it gets a, like a little bit of like a sick feeling that the fact that there's like this massive exclusive that they, they have all the leagues now and there's no competition when it comes to producing these cards. Is there any part of you that has any apprehension with that sort of idea?
1: Yeah. I mean, monopolies are bad. And so there's lots of bad things that come out of monopolies. And so you know, um, people have talked about how they don't like Panini cause they're a monopoly, but Panini has only owned, you know, one sport or maybe two sports. Yep. Um, but there's, there's been other competitors around the edges. Now it feels like there's going to be a company, you know, and that's, that's a big deal. It's uh, it, 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 it does make you nervous. Um, but again, where I am somebody who, who really doesn't buy the cards in the year that they come out, I, I sit and I wait for it. Um. My hope is that we just don't have a situation. Like I said, I hope we don't have a situation like we saw back in 2009. Now, back in 2009, um, we had this, this company that we all thought of, most of us thought who were in the hobby as this you know, European um, sticker company. And, um, and so they came in and we were like, hey, what are they going to do that's going to be really cool? And for a couple of years, they just didn't do anything. It was really cool. It just wasn't, it wasn't impressive at all. And, um, you know, that was that was a really like bad thing for the hobby when it was like, okay, I guess this new company came in, offered a whole bunch of money, took away our good brands, and now they're not good. But after they got their feet under them, then we started to feel different. You know, after, Mm. after we had really, it's, it's, it's 2012 because it's not just prism. It's, it's, and it's when national treasures was still happening, but also you got immaculate and flawless at that point, Mm. the hobby then became really cool again. But, but for those first two, three years, which included a lockout year where they didn't make rookie cards, Mm. you know, they pushed, but they pushed 2011 draft. Yep. That's right. Um, Like it, it took them that time. And so when I think about fanatics doing this, I just I don't think it's wishful thinking. I think they, they're they smart. It's bigger money than it was back then. We're talking about smarter people. I just think they're smart enough to say we need tops and upper Deck. I just think they, I think they know it. They need both of those companies and without them, it's, it's going to be weird. It's not, it's yeah. not, gonna, it's not going to, I think they need them. And if they don't, if they don't get both of them then they need Panini, they need, they need one of those two groups.
0: I have a question about that particular point, but I want to go back to what you were saying about the 2009 when when Panini came out. Okay. Can you talk to me? Because Topps Chrome and Upper Deck were had some really sick cards. They they had all the yeah. exquisite stuff coming out. I mean, it was a really great time for cards, especially with LeBron and all the hype that was around LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Carmelo. The the O three class itself. What was it like at that time? And does it feel different? Does it feel the same when there's this massive licensing deal that's happening? What did it feel like then to have this kind of again uneasiness around of, uh, around uncertainty of what the card hobby is going to continue to hold and and what's happening today? So at that point in time, it
1: felt, um, and, and I I was very close to my LCS at the time. There weren't like I wasn't like a member of any forum or anything online. I mean, we're talking about twelve years ago. Life was different in the card world. Yeah, I remember going into a card shop right after the announcement was made and. I remember this one guy who was at the card shop, house cards in Salt Lake, um, one of the customers, he said, this is going to kill the hobby. This is the end because Panini knows how to make stickers. They don't know what they're doing. And I remember thinking even then a company like this doesn't spend tens of millions of dollars without like some plan. And right. I thought it's going to be better than this guy thinks, but there were a lot of doubters there were a lot of people who, who didn't, who didn't feel good about it. There were also people who were really sad because, People collect brands and there were people who cult, who love tops who were sad that we didn't have Chrome anymore. And there were people who collected upper deck who were sad that they didn't get exquisite or ultimate collection, or even just basic upper deck. You know, people have, people have real, um, legitimate loyalty towards brands. And so there were a lot of people who, who were really sad about it. Um, and, I think that when they then bought Donruss, it was like, okay, they'll, they'll do something here. But it's, like I said, it didn't, it never stuck. Because remember, Donruss wasn't a basketball brand. Like right, right. We, we were suddenly missing all the things that we loved and we didn't have something that really fixed the problem, right? Like we just, we didn't get, we didn't have a, an alternative to our to our chrome refractors, you know? We didn't have an alternative to our exquisite RPAs. I guess maybe kind of with with, with National Treasures. That's probably actually one that they, that they did the best. But there was no great comparison to like the base upper deck set. You know, there was, there was no comparison to, to an ultimate collection or to a finest. And so we were really bummed about it. It was really negative. And I would also say like, that wasn't some hallmark era of the hobby. Like 2008 wasn't like, okay, everything's perfect. In retrospect, there was a lot of really cool cards, but you know, did people care about the 2008 Kobe card with LeBron guarding him? No, we didn't even know what that was. It wasn't, nobody even realized that that was a thing. It wasn't, it wasn't an important card. <laughs> so, you know, now we're in this different world because now we have like this hobby that has absolutely exploded. Like, you know, way that is difficult to explain. And most of the people who who are in the hobby have come in in the last few years, you know, like yourself. And so they're used to this, this like amazing, amazing, like um, explosive growth. And, and I don't know, you know, I don't know if we can, I don't know what happens at this point, but I know that there's more, there's far more enthusiasm because of, of the circumstances, you know, 2008. Circumstances weren't perfect in 2021. The circumstances are unbelievable, and you've got an 18 billion dollar company that's spending gobs of money to acquire these licenses. And I think all of us are sitting here going, "Wow, what's the hobby going to look like in a few years?" That's not what we were saying in 2009.
0: Yeah, and you know it makes a lot of sense because when you look at like Steph's year, the cards are not. There's not a ton of great options. And it's sad because Steph is going to go down as a legend in the game. And there's honestly not a ton of great stuff. Steph cards. Like I go try to buy Steph and they're super low pop and there's not a lot of great options. Even the ones that are really popular, in my opinion, don't look that great. Uh, And so you're right. Like there's kind of those missed years uh, of uh, really cool cards. And so I totally get that. And I think that could definitely some version of that can definitely happen again. Now, when we talk about um, – uh, you, you had mentioned in your live – actually, this is the last question I'm going to ask you before we get out. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about the next three to five years. If Fanatics does not buy Tops and Panini or Upper Deck or some version of that, what I, I, one concern I have a little bit is over the next three to five years, do these companies now mass produce even more than they've produced just to cash out? And does that – hurt the hobby before we even get into the fanatics era of sports cards, because these companies now realize they don't no longer have the licenses or didn't get bought up and now are just going to, you know, flood the market a little bit just so that they can take advantage of what they have. Is there any sort of concern that you have over the next three to five years when it comes to that, that, that idea?
1: Yeah. I've heard a lot of people mention this and I think it's a really good question. Um, I don't personally have a concern because I, I do think that those deals will happen. And I think the signaling will be really, I think they'll, they'll these companies are going to talk about it immediately. Yeah. Um, but let's assume that, like you said, let's assume that doesn't happen. Let's assume that Fanatics is, that, I, that I'm wrong and that Fanatics is going to go do their own thing. In that case, the Upper Deck brand and the Topps brand and the Panini brand so in this case we're just talking about the Panini brand. The Panini brand is still actually worth quite a bit. Right? Cuz they don't they don't just do sports cards. They they do a lot of different things. And they're going to be able to continue to do the stickers and things like that, I think. I don't I wonder I don't know if stickers falls under cards. I don't think they do. And so I wonder if Panini will still be able to do, for example, basketball stickers. Mm. Um, you know, there's sticker books that they do that they did that they've done for a long time. I, I think they'll still be able to do those, but um, their brand still matters. And um, and so I don't think they have an interest in like in like just destroying everything along the way because it's still a billion, dollar Panini's still a billion dollar company even without the basketball license. I mean, I think they're, they're still huge. So, but the thing that they will do, and I did talk about this on the live a little bit, the thing that they will need to do is they will need to use their assets that will no longer be usable afterwards, and yeah. and so that's where you think about their you know things like their um, their cards that are sitting in reserve, um, you know for for replacements and and things that they've kept through the years. They've released a lot of those through through you know repack not repackaged products but products where they you know where they take old cards that haven't been distributed from, you know, Redemptions or whatever. And they put them in, in boxes and, and hand numbered them and stuff. I forget the name of the, the product that did that, but, but they still have a lot of those types of things. They still have a lot of game used material. They still have a lot of sticker autographs. The good news is that they have years to be able to distribute that. And so, you know, they, they have some time to plan for it in 2009. These companies only had a few months to, to to plan for. And so it was a massive, um, you know, asset dump.
0: We talked about how like there was like six patches on a card and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Cause they were just trying to get rid of their inventory.
1: Yeah. And my favorite is 2008 top signature where they took all of the remaining sticker autographs and they just put them all on these cards. And so you have have guys, it's crazy, man. You've got guys that have like 6,432 autographs and you're like, why would you pick that serial number? Well, it's because that's how many, autographs they had left on stickers and they just had to get rid of them because of course they didn't need them anymore. It, it, it did them no good afterwards. And so we, we might see that except for they have so much time to plan for it. Um, and I don't think I, I again, I believe in Panini as a, as a company. I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to do anything crazy like that. Um, but I think we might see them maybe invest less in, in or invest less in, in innovation. Um, okay. But you know, even saying that, like I don't know, like they still have the chance to maybe do other sports cards and things. And there's a, there's other sports. Their name is too big. I I think you know they'll have some wins, they'll have some losses, and some people will complain. But my guess is that Panini's still going to do a, few, a really good job for the next few years.
0: I sure hope so. You know, like that would be that would be ideal. And I think you're right. I think that having the three to five year time frame going forward does allow for a more smoother transition than what we saw back in the 2009 timeframe. Now, uh, one thing that you talked about in your live, which I thought was really interesting is you said when this happened in 2009, Panini was taken, was doing what they were doing and they were taking over the sports card world, especially for the NBA. You talked about how there were certain cards that you had wished, or you should have just bought up at the time, knowing that that was not going to continue to exist. Things like LeBron autos and MJ autos because of their exclusive with upper deck what do you see now? I mean, is there something that you're looking at now? And you don't have to give me strategies or specifics, but, you know, or you can, if you want to, but just stuff that you think about right now, how do you think through this on what then ends up being important moving forward? Because what's definitely true is that the Panini Prism and the Panini brands will still continue to be important regardless of how fanatics moves forward. They will still continue to be important because they did produce cards for nine years during a very important time with guys who are going to be very very important uh, to NBA history and to NFL history and then tops to baseball history um, what like what are what are you, where's your mind going when you think about stuff that you think will be important 5 10 15 years from now
1: this is my first question when I heard the news it was what is the LeBron and um, Jordan autograph um, you know or another one that's interesting is that year they made tops Chrome for the last time. Topps really rushed uh, their Topps/slash Topps Chrome product, in, and it was it was a it was an all in one product, and it happened to be the year that created the Steph Curry Topps Chrome card, which, ironically, even though he has all that Panini stuff, his Topps Chrome and, or Topps card is maybe his best known card. Yeah. Kind of interesting that that's that that's the case. Um, I thought a lot about this, and um, in, in, in there's there's like two parts to this question. There's like the part that you're saying, which is which cards are are destined to really gain in value because the because there's this shift that we didn't expect. Um, and that's what we should be asking ourselves, right? Is like, since the, since there's this shift that we didn't know was going to happen, what did we think was going to continue to be produced but now won't be? A la the Jordan and LeBron autographs. I thought about that a lot. I don't have any idea what the answer is. I really don't. Um, I, I think, I think that's a great question and I don't, I don't know. Um, it's not clear to me and, but what is clear to me is there's a lot of, there's a lot smarter people in the hobby today than there was in 2009. Um, because the number of people who were really smart at that point and realized the LeBron Jordan situation and were loading up on their autographs, there just wasn't a lot of those people and there wasn't a lot of capital, right? There wasn't a lot of people who were like, or there weren't a lot of people who who were like, yeah, let me go deploy 20 grand on LeBron and, and Jordan autographs. Now, like, there's a lot of people who can go do that in, in a moment's notice. But I don't see the same opportunity. It's not totally clear. If I see it, you're right though. I'm not gonna talk about it. I'm gonna figure out like how to, you know, how to how to do that thing. But I'm I'm being honest, dude. I don't I don't know what that thing is. Um the, the second part of your collect question though kind of felt like what are the things from the Panini era that are important? And, um, you know, I think that's the, the best answer that I've heard to that is, um, you know, keep buying the things that you are right now, because if you like them now, you'll probably like them in five years from now. And I think that's probably, tr- I think that's probably true. Like I look at my collection and I, st- I still think rarity really matters. <laughs> and rarity in sets that are, are significant and important firsts, you know, those types of things, those, those things all still really matter. And so, you know, I, I'm going to continue to buy things that I think are things that I like that are from significant sets that are undervalued, that are rare. And, uh, and I think as time goes by, that'll serve, you know, those things will, those things will work out. I think that um, I think that it makes me think about, you know this is kind of interesting. It makes me think about like how we've gone on and on about how like the, the high pop um, cards would, would, would not retain value. I still don't believe they will for players that don't perform. But if fanatics grows the market in this way that's like really big, isn't it possible that some of those cards that we consider high pop won't end up being high pop after all?
0: Um, Absolutely. hundred percent.
1: if that happens, then, then maybe our line of thinking all along has been, has been wrong. I still don't think, you know, the, the guy who's being, people always talk about bull, 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 bull may be great by the way. I hopefully he is. But if, but if he ends up being, you know, just sort of like this average meddling player off the bench, then people have probably spent way too much money on him. But for these guys who end up being real stars and have high pop rookies maybe some of those have actually been pretty good deals because the hobby is going to grow so much and people are going to want those cards that are well known. You know, that, that could be a thing. And I say that as somebody who has no intention on ever going out and buying those cards because still they're so plentiful. I just don't care about them. It just does something that is always available is not something that's appealing to me. I want, I want to own cards that are really hard to find. I love the chase, you know Um, that to me, after 30 something years in the hobby, the funnest part of the hobby for me is the relationships. And the second funnest part is is the chase. It's going out and finding something that's hard to find. So that for that reason, I wouldn't have any interest in those, in those high pop cards, but it wouldn't be shocking to me if those did pretty well.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. I think demand is relative and if the demand and the pie continues to grow, then what numbers we're talking about right now, you know, obviously like the base prism stuff has 15, 18, 20,000 in PSA 10s, much less everything else that they have. Uh but the silvers are around 2,000 for Luca and and more modern guys. And then the base prism stuff for guys like Giannis and the 2012 prism stuff is closer to 1,500 to 2,000 for those PSA 10s. And that's honestly not that much. And and you're right. I think that the key here, and this is something that I think about a lot too, when it comes to which cards are going to outperform other cards, is how deep people who find the hobby continue to go. Cool. And that that that's that's where my mind goes with is it. like if a lot of people stay surface level with it. Then you're right. The panini, the prism stuff—that's very easy to get and very well easy to to, to recognize—will continue to do just fine because people don't know any better. Better, they don't actually put the time in to learn the more rare stuff. Because that stuff, honestly, as a newcomer in the hobby, takes like a shit ton of time to figure out. It yes. takes time. Like I'm only I'm 18 months in, and only now am I finding all the cars that all you collectors talk about for so so long now only now am I starting to learn about it after being in the hobby for so long and after learning all the nuance that the hobby really has to offer. And so I think that's a really interesting point about it. And I do believe the hobby offers people who are going to be obsessive about this a really cool avenue to express that obsession in the the realm of rare, rare cards. And then my mind goes to things like inserts and stuff like that. I think that's really cool. I do believe When we talk about sports cards as a potential art piece for people who want to show it off to their friends and whatnot, inserts become really interesting to me. And that's where my mind goes as well with it, especially when you talk about Jordan inserts being very popular and other inserts like the jambalaya and, uh, you know, PMGs and all those sorts of things. Those are parallels, but those being very, very important to the hobby. So that's where my mind goes to it. I think it's a fascinating time for sure.
1: Can I show you? So I have this, I'm, I'm only picking this up cause it's literally in front of me. I, I, I had it on my basket, my uh, top the gala? one, the, the gala, the gala based set. I've just got like a, a partial set of the original, of the original um, 2014 gala set. So you talk about inserts and these, these aren't inserts. These are base cards, but they, they fit into this category that you just talked about where like, there are going to be people who look back at the Panini era and they realize that the majority of LeBron's career was in the Panini era. And they're going to say, what cards do I need from, from, you know, his, his, his Panini era. And
0: his some of them, days. what's that? His playing days. Cause you don't want to collect cards after he retires. Even if fanatics no. does continue to produce LeBron James cards after he retires, the ones that are important, like we've talked about are like Kobe cards while he's playing. Right. That's right. And yeah. so, you know, I
1: think people will, people, you, the way you just said it, it was really wonderful. Um, the, the hobby provides opportunities for people who who get really deep into it to, to go have those chases, right? So that LeBron card that I just showed off, it's not that rare. There's 79 of them. And you will see one or two of them available a year on eBay now. Like, it's actually, like, super rare that it pops up. Um, you know, fast forward five, ten years from now, which things... Um, cause there's a lot of rare things. There's a lot more rare things now than there were when, um, you know, when Panini took over, there's tons of rare things, which rare things matter. And, right. and is there, is there actually going to be a time where the hobby really shifts to rarity, you know, where people say, well, I just care about finding the, the LeBron Gala card and they don't care about the base prism stuff anymore. There's definitely a possibility of that. Uh, and, and there might be some correlation with how big the hobby gets and that I'm not sure. Um, but I think that, I think that it's just, it's just, a, it's hard to predict. And I, I don't think that, that anyone's going to be perfect on this,
0: but I, I do think that, I do think that it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Definitely. Well, look, you've been with me for an hour. Is there anything else you want to add on this topic?
1: No, man. I would just say that I think you're. I think you're doing a great job on your show. You're. You're one of my absolute favorite people for, for doing this. And I, I wouldn't have said yes if you weren't because obviously it was a long time before before I hopped on. But but all of us who are in this hobby together. I, guess I will say this last thing. All of us who are in this hobby together right now get to experience what's going to happen over the next few years together. And and if Fanatics takes off the way that we think is possible you guys will look back and you'll say, I was a part of the hobby before this other massive boom that that has the potential of happening happens. And, you know, you'll be able to say I was one of the first people who had uh, (laughs) a a card podcast because there's going to be even more of them. And I'm going to still be the only person doing a basketball card magazine because there's no one else weird enough out there to do it. Trust me. It's insane. Don't, don't even think about
0: it. But um (laughs) No, but, I love it. I love. I love that you're going against the grain because that's the kind of stuff that. Hey, sometimes that stuff really pops, and I think yours is yours. Your content, what's going to end up winning out is the fact that your content is. I mean, it's it's truly unique and beautiful, and I love what you're doing there. Uh, and I and I have to say to you and to a lot of old you know people that have been in the hobby for some time who have been insanely welcoming and generous with their time and knowledge it's why the hobby will continue to grow and grow sustainably is because there are people like you who are not feeding off of newcomers you guys are truly trying to teach and and bring them into the fold in ways that I think is unique to sports cards and it's unique to people who have made it in sports cards uh and I and I love that about this hobby I love that about all the collectors that that do have a positive view towards the growth uh, and continue to bring that positivity to the hobby because it's so so important and it's what will turn all of us new people into the hobby into true long term hobbyists and collectors instead of the flash in the pan that there's definitely a risk of happening if people don't know what they're doing and lose a lot of money and get fed on the way some people have over the last couple, uh, over the last few months. So thank you for everything you guys do. Seriously. Uh, dude, guys. Don't, don't sell yourself
1: short because you know, you're, you're one of the most positive people in, in the whole hobby and think about the number of people who get to enjoy it because of this podcast that you do and the show that you do. It's dude, it's, it's fantastic what you're doing and you know, you're not alone. There's a lot of people who have been in it for only a year and a half, two, three, four years that that have, they had made it so much fun for kids. You know, I've got an 11 year old and, uh, and he thinks I'm old because I am. <laughs> but Not he sees, you know, he sees some of these younger guys doing things and he sees his friends doing it. And a lot of us who tried forever, we were always like, oh, I want kids to be in this. I want kids to be in this. It took getting younger guys, you know, like you into this, who, who, who've really helped, you know, turn this hobby into what it is. And, and that's the reason that an $18 billion company just, just made this massive news is because we've had the, um, amazing, uh, amazing growth that we've seen young, amongst young, younger people. So the hobby is in the best place it's been ever. And it feels like it's going to an even better place. So what
0: an inc- incredible time to be part of. Seriously. Fun, fun times. Insane time to be in the hobby. I love it. I love this hobby. Uh, stay on I'm gonna have a quick outro and then I want to talk to you for a second but thanks again Adam I really appreciate it guys give Adam a follow on Instagram again being following these guys on Instagram following us on Instagram is absolutely important just because of that's where the hobby and community lives. give Adam a follow at the real 27 guy give me a follow at the slap talk hit that subscribe button on YouTube leave a rating and review on podcasts I really truly appreciate the support uh, and thank you again get and subscribe to Adams magazine basketball card fanatic it is one of the best things out there. Thanks again, Adam. I appreciate you joining. Thanks, brother.